Hello and welcome to the Sound of the Looms podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams alongside Kendra D. St. Aubin. Later on, we'll be joined by the head coach of Minnesota United, Adrian Heath, to assess all things Minnesota United in 2022 and indeed look ahead to the MLS Cup playoffs. First and foremost, OK, uh, let's go back to the home game against Vancouver, shall we? The final game of Major League Soccer's regular season. Um, it was built up as unsurprisingly, the biggest game of the season for obvious reasons, given uh, what was at stake and what Minnesota United needed to do. Um, thankfully, fortunately, Minnesota United turned up and got the job done. Yeah, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head. It was built up as the biggest game of the season because it was truly the biggest game of the season. We didn't even have to build this one up in the sense that the team kind of did that themselves in, in the precarious position that they put themselves in, leaving it really to the wire. And we know that a draw could get them in, but ultimately in front of their home fan base, which was, by the way, phenomenal on Sunday. Best, biggest crowd we've ever had, but at the same time, just truly the environment was um, something to behold. And I think that that did help carry them through and nothing less, anything less, excuse me, than three points would have been unacceptable. And they, and they did it in fine fashion with the two goals and a shutout to boot, which I know we didn't hit a whole lot in the post game show, and that's something that has been lacking in this group for quite some time now. But to get the shutout and the two goals and to go into the postseason, understanding that you took firm hold of that position, I think was a huge confidence boost for this group. First shutout in 13 Major League Soccer games, uh, I believe. Much needed because the team had been conceding left, right and centre over the course of the last couple of weeks in particular. Brent Coleman said uh, during the week that he felt as though psychologically it will give the backline a massive boost. Uh, perfect timing, really, heading into the postseason. Yeah, and I think when you look at what this defense is capable of, it seemed shocking that it had been that long since they've had a shutout. It had seemed shocking to me that there had only been four shutouts on the season for Dane St. Clair and for this group because I think we all have belief in this backline, belief in the holding midfielders, and belief in the goalkeeper. And um, it just wasn't coming together. And, it, you know, de defensively is a team effort. It starts from the front. Adrian Heath has said that time and time again. So when they concede goals and they don't get the shutouts, I'm also a firm believer that it's not just about the back line. It is truly about where the turnovers are happening, the lack of pressure on the ball, maybe um, the, the, the lack of defense when the ball goes the other way. We heard some disappointment in the San Jose game of that exact situation. So, I think that this was much needed for the confidence of this boost. And it's more of like a reaffirming of what they're capable of rather than lacking confidence. It just reaffirmed so much of what we already knew about this team. And even for themselves, they needed that to go into the postseason with a little bit of flair. And the two goals helped as well. You know, I mean, I think when you look at where the two goals came from, who scored the two goals, I think that as well, when you look at this group, um, to get Fragapane in the board and Jonathan Gonzalez, his first goal for this team, that gives you also a boost going forward uh, into the postseason because that's two goal scorers um, that, you know, deserve the opportunity to finish, and they did. Clean sheet was preserved, not only because of a, a good performance from the back line. I thought DJ Taylor had one of his best games for Minnesota United. I thought both the centre-halves were, were very, very good as well. Uh, not saying Kamal Lawrence wasn't. I just thought that the other three were spectacular on the day. 
Um, as was Dane St. Clair when he was called upon as well. There were two miraculous saves that he made. I seem to remember the one that came from the edge of the penalty area. Uh, I think it was Ryan Gold from the free kick when he just leant to the left and tipped it over with the right palm. Uh, stupendous save. Um, and once again, exactly what Dane St. Clair perhaps needed moving into the playoffs. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, I, at least outwardly, this is a guy that doesn't lack confidence. You know, he'll tell you anytime you see him about his abilities. And sometimes you wonder if he's building himself up or if he really feels that way. But in front of your team, in front of your fans, in a moment like that, where the pressure is on to come up big, I think that says a lot about this group. It says a lot about Dane St. Clair. It says a lot about that entire team. It says a lot about the staff that they came up in the biggest moment necessary, the biggest moment up to this point to come up big time. And Dane Tickler, do you remember those saves in the first half? We made two saves back to back, just totally wonky, diving one way and then coming back the other way. I mean, that if, if they had scored there, what would that have done to this team in this moment, in that game? And I think that was, those are the kind of things, you have a goalkeeper like that with that kind of ability for these moments to save you keep you in a game, win you a game, whatever it might be. And he was fired up. And I think the save you're talking about is in the second half. And you saw hit the look on his face. It was like this creepy, scary eyeball, you know, intensity about him. And that's exactly what you want to see from your goalkeeper coming up big time for you in those moments. Sounds so well to make that save as well, because it is heading for the top corner. And it's one of those as a goalkeeper, isn't it? You have to go when you dive into the left, you have to go with the right arm, because if you go with the left arm, you may not necessarily get it, but going with the opposing arm and tipping it over the bar um, was a, a wonderful piece of goalkeeping. Fabulous technique. Um, and it, it, was, it was very much the Dane St. Clair that we have come to, to know and love for sure over the course of, of the last couple of years. That, that was the standard that we expect. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he expects that standard of himself as well. It was a, a sensational save. Um, let's talk about the goals that, that did go in, shall we? You mentioned them briefly earlier on. Uh, good to get Franco Frangapane back on the score sheet. Yeah, and I think, you know, that'll do him well. And I think earlier in the season, if I remember correctly, it was maybe the LA Galaxy game on the road after that catastrophe at Miami where nobody played well, that Franco Frangapane found some confidence and then it continued to build. And you could see when he gets on the score sheet, he's making the right runs at the right time to be effective and developing some of that chemistry with Kamar Lawrence, who's just behind him. Because that's a true partnership when you're playing with outside backs that are essentially operating as wing backs and you have two outside, you know, midfielders, quote unquote, they're tucking inside. That is a true chemistry and partnership that takes time sometimes to develop when you're going to tuck in, who's making the overlapping run, then who's responsible to come back and cover defensively if you're both pushed high and the ball turns over. And I think that so something like this for Fragapane to score that goal and he didn't try to do too much with it. He just slots it into the lower corner. No chance for the, Thomas Fasal, the, the young Canadian goalkeeper, to make that save. And he took the ball on his own. He carried it as the sea kind of, it was like the Red Sea parted, allowing him to take that space where nobody was stepping to the ball. And a huge piece of that is when you have attacking players that are making those runs, or not even runs per se, which is stepping out in wider areas drawing some of their defenders with them, whether it's Reynoso, whether it's Amaria, who, whoever, maybe it was Mender Garcia up there, Robin Lud had gotten forward quite a bit, that they're dragging those defenders with them and making the defenders choose. Are you going to step to the ball and pressure, or are you going to track one of those runners and follow them? And Fregapane took his space 
And then he took his shot at just the right moment before the pressure got too close for a deflection to happen. So does wonders for him. It was a fabulous finish. Um, happy to see it because he's not been on great form as of late, not just from ability wise, but with some of his decision-making and his cars and his suspensions that he's taken some, some flack, you know, rightfully so forth. So good to see him kind of getting back on that horse um, as they head into playoffs. And there was a, a further sense and sigh of relief when Jonathan Gonzalez scored his first goal in Major League Soccer. I thought he adjusted his body really quickly and really well after the, the cross came in from Rosales. It, it took a wicked deflection on the way through, which meant Gonzalez had to adjust almost mid-flight. It was almost as if he'd already started uh, his initial attack and he had to adjust himself mid-flight and, and took the goal really, really well, Kay. Um, and it was good for, for, for people to, to to see a sample of what he can offer in front of goal because so so often he, he's judged on what he does in the centre of midfield, as he as he should be, he's a central midfielder. Um, but good to see that he can also offer that side of his game in crucial moments as well. Yeah, and I think it's the composure. And in, in, he's so young, but yet he's so calm on the ball. And you and I have said this time and time again, is there was, you know, suspensions, whether it was Ariaga or Will Trapp, you know, and, and Robin was hurt for a bit. Who's going to fill in in that center midfield role? Who who do we think will be most effective? And, and clearly you and I aren't privy to all the conversations that the coaching staff has and what they see. Um, but I truly have always felt that Jonathan Gonzalez could step in there, no hesitation, because there is a calmness about him. He's been in big moments. And I know you hit on this in the broadcast. For him to step in in the center of midfield in big moments is a calmness for him on the ball, in his decision-making, um, in his positioning. And then to go forward and be willing to make that run late in the game and make himself available in and around the penalty spot. And then the way he finished it, I thought it was really sort of representative of the kind of player that he is, at least that he is currently for Minnesota United and at this point in his career, that he does the work. Um, we see that training every day, but he did the work in this game to make that run and to make sure he was in the right position to put that one away because he was one of the players with the fresher legs to get forward and try to get a second goal, a little bit of a security goal for Minnesota United. And that's exactly what he did. He took it perfectly, didn't try to do too much with it, took it off the deflection, as you say, and it's coming from Josef Rosales, another player with fresher legs who had come on in the second half and was willing to make that run and get forward as others were kind of fizzling out and getting a little bit tired as the game wore on. Prior to that, we saw a first start in about two and a half games for Robin Lude in the centre of midfield. Um, how does he fare for you in that game? I thought he fared. I thought he fared really well. I mean, and I was worried about his match fitness. I know that his quality on the ball, and I think as the game wore on, you could see him getting tired in his touches, in his passes. In some of his runs, you know, he just looked a little bit like his legs were getting a little wobbly underneath him, perhaps, because um, he had done a lot of work. He had gotten farther forward more often in, than in that center midfield role than maybe I've seen ever from him. But I think some of that was just the solidity of the back line and, and Will Trap playing in there, um, allowing Robin to make those late arriving runs, which we saw time and time again. I mean, he had quite a few shots, maybe two or three around the edge of the 18. And they didn't go, and he's not as sharp as we have seen him in the past. And usually he's like pinpoint. You know he's going to get it on that left foot, and he will slot it in that corner. He picks it out perfectly, curls it around the goalkeeper, and it's a goal. And, you know, he hasn't scored since May, and I think that um, he's not quite as sharp in front of goal as we've seen in times past. But 
it was good to see him getting forward. And I think Will Trapp is a little bit of a comfort level with him playing alongside him, just knowing what the expectation is and where he's going to be at all times defensively, not just offensively. Yeah, the last time Robin Lude scored, ironically, was May 22nd against FC Dallas. I wonder, Kay, as we move into the playoffs, will we see Robin Lude in the centre of midfield again? That's a tricky one for me. I mean, this, these are our breakfast conversations around here. My husband was asking me, hey, did Bongi, did Bongi Longwane train this week? Is he going to be available? What do you do if he is available? Where do you put Robin? Ariag is back. You know, I mean, these are good problems to have, and we don't know what the status of, of Longwane is at this point. Um, but that's another player that just adds a different dimension now um, in the attack, that if he is ready and available to come back, which we're, we don't know, and you still have Mender Garcia, but he's a different player than Longwane, clearly a different player than Robin Lewis if you put him on the outside. So I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's a good problem for Adrian Heath to have at this point, that you have attacking players, that there's some versatility. I like Robin on the field in some way, shape, or form if he is available and Ariag is back. And we, you know, you have plenty of options in the center midfield. You have Gonzalez, you have Rosales, you have Will Trapp, you have Ariaga. So to me, there's more options there than there are in the wider attacking areas. And I, I would prefer Robin Lewis on the right-hand side. He's effective in the center midfield, but he can be effective cutting in and getting that boot on his, you know, getting that ball on his left boot from the right-hand side as well. And maybe then Mender Garcia, if he can come off the bench, that just gives you a completely different look and dimension of what this attack can be. But if, if Robin's available, I think you have to have him on the field. I just don't know what that means for the center of midfield against a team like FC Dallas. One would assume with Kerbin Arriaga being available again, he would move into the center of midfield. Uh, I tend to agree. I think um, if, if I'm in charge, I would start Robin Lutz uh, on the, the right-hand side of that three behind the forwards. And then you bring somebody off the bench um, if Lutz can't go the entirety of the 90. Um, what does it mean for somebody like a Jonathan Gonzalez then, and a Josef Rosales, as you mentioned? Um, once again, my assumption is they're going to have to be patient and wait for their chance on the bench. Yeah, and I think that's that's exactly right. I don't think because that you know Rosales got the assist and Gonzalez got the goal that that means that they're now slotted themselves into a starting position. I'm not sure that they were per se fighting for a starting position if all other players are healthy. I think that they've, you know, of course they're going to want to fight for a starting position. I'm not saying that competition is the best thing for any team, but at the end of the day, they did exactly what they needed to do coming off the bench, providing a spark, filling a hole, filling a gap, providing some energy, getting points, solidifying the win in a role off the bench. So for me, if I'm Adrian Heath, I'm, you know, applauding their efforts, applauding what they accomplished, you know, continuing to work hard, but I don't think that bumps somebody else out of a starting role if everybody is healthy and available to go. To go. And I understand that's a tough, tough spot for Gonzalez and Rosales to be in, but that is just the nature of the roster right now. That's the nature of this sport and professional sports. And I think that they'll be okay with that, but it doesn't mean that they're not going to continue to fight and work and prove themselves when they have those moments. And they did the best they absolutely could with that moment on Sunday. Before we go ahead and, and speak about FC Dallas, uh, in particular with Adrian Heath, the head coach of Minnesota United, uh, we must speak about the Western Conference and uh, the wild day that was decision day. And uh, Don't get me wrong, the Eastern Conference was, was extremely entertaining as well, but the West... 
At one stage, Minnesota United were fourth and, and sitting in a very comfortable position and, and potentially hosting uh, a playoff game, which, which would have been insane. In the end, LA Galaxy, um, unsurprisingly, in my opinion, did the job against Houston Dynamo, meaning they finished fourth and they host Nashville uh, in the first round of the playoffs. Minnesota, of course, go to FC Dallas. Real Salt Lake uh, will go to Austin FC. Minnesota, by the way, will play the winners of Austin against Real Salt Lake. The reason why Minnesota United fans will be cheering for Real Salt Lake is because Minnesota obviously finished higher than RSL in the regular season standings, meaning if it is Minnesota versus Real Salt Lake in the next round, Minnesota United would host. We've seen stranger things happen in this league. Um, let's not get ahead of ourselves, though, Kate. Um, FC Dallas, this has been uh, a team that I, I think, given how they finished last season, a lot of people expected them to be in and around the postseason. I don't think anybody expected them to be in the top three. Nico Estevez has done a sensational job this year. Yeah, it's interesting because I've been listening to everything that he's had to say and, and all his availabilities and, and some of the conversations that have been had. And he's said time and time again that he doesn't, he, he doesn't like the word expectations because then he feels it actually limits his players. It limits them if you say we've reached expectations. These are our expectations. He almost felt like it has more of a limiting effect on the team than it does a, a goal and a height to climb for. And I thought that was a, an interesting perspective because I've never heard that before. We all talk about expectations. We, we talk about it in sports all the time and in life. But um, I thought that was an, an interesting twist on it because I know even you and I have talked about that with Minnesota United. The expectation for this roster in 2022 is different than what the expectation was in 2017. So there are sort of expectations, but I, I would, I would firmly say, and this is just my opinion that they have exceeded expectations based on how their year went last year, based on the fact that they have a new head coach that's trying to learn the players, learn the system, implement his system, his style, get the players believing in what he's doing. And usually the best way to get players to believe in what you're doing is winning and finding success. And Nico Estevez has found a way to do that. That's exactly what he's been able to accomplish. And a lot of it is the, is the players um, being open to the idea of what he's trying to accomplish with them. And I think that um, if you asked him, he would tell you that game by game, week by week, he was pleased with the players' performances, the implementation of the system, the simulation, is that the right word? The acclimation, whatever you want to call it, of what he's been trying to do with this group. And they've had their share of ups and downs, no doubt. Um, a, you know, a win for Minnesota United at FC Dallas was probably one of those where they don't lose often there. And I know that they didn't start all their star players and they didn't have Sebastian Legit yet, I don't believe. But they had Ariola and Pereira and they came off the bench. So I think that um, he's pleased with this group. They've shored up defensively. And they've got some quality attacking players that are going to be so effective and dangerous, as we saw at Minnesota United late in the season. This is a completely different team to me than what Minnesota United played and faced at Dallas earlier in the season. I'm not sure how you feel about it, but to me it feels like a different team based on what we saw at Minnesota United when FC Dallas won 3-0. Yep, they were as uh, free-flowing a Dallas side, I think, as I've ever seen. Jesus Ferreira is obviously at the, the centre of that particular stage when he brings out uh, the opposing centre-half. Um, I know he, he 
he's been superb. He's arguably been supreme inside the penalty area this year. 18 goals in the regular season. Um, and the majority of those have come inside the penalty area, if not all of them, actually, now that I think about it. Um, and that would suggest that he, he obviously can play. He, he, he is a natural centre-forward. There's been this conversation and debate, hasn't there, for a long time about what um, Ferreira's best role is as, a, as an attacking player. Um, he's been used as a, as a false nine before. Um, I think he's he's naturally almost like a shadow striker, actually, in the sense where he just he's, he's quite comfortable just underneath um, the main centre forward. But he's proven again this year that he can score goals when when playing at the peak of, of the front line. Um, I think his role, obviously, uh, he plays off the shoulder very well indeed. But there are a, a handful of times during the game, and when you when you go back and watch a Dallas game, when he pulls the the centre half out, and because of the wingers playing in the manner in which they do. Um, Alan Velasco uh, and Paul Ariola, I'm assuming, are going to be the two that, that start against Minnesota on Monday. Um, they have been the, the the most consistent pairing alongside uh, on either side of, of Ferreira. They both cut in very well. Um, if you look at the goal that Dallas scored against Minnesota in Dallas, and I know it was a worldie from Ariola, but he came in from a wide position. The goal that Alan Velasco scored against Minnesota in the 3-0 win at Allianz Field, he came in from a wider area. And again, that, that wasn't uh, an ordinary strike either. But my, my point is here is more about positioning. And I think Ferreira plays his role so, so well in, in, in the way that they operate um, that it gives them so much room to, to tuck in behind uh, that, that forced centre-half that's, that's come out. And I think it's a big day for Brent Coleman and for Michael Boxall again because they're going to have to to pick and choose their moments in terms of if he if Ferreira drags them out, if he goes too far, surely they've got to be thinking, I, I can't go that far with him. I, I can't. But regardless, there's a gap behind me now and I've got to fill in very quickly. So um, it, it's going to be um, a really, really intriguing contest. And, and the, the two centre-halves are going to have to be extremely smart about positioning. Uh, both on and particularly off the ball. But I think, it, again, it's obvious, Kay, that the, the main threat um, away from Ferreira is is the two inverted wingers. Uh, again, uh, as I'm assuming it's going to be Alan Velasco and it's going to be Paul Ariola, um, who have both been in fine fettle this year. And so um, I wonder, with with that in regards, what does that mean for the Minnesota United fullbacks, Kay, in Dallas? Do, do we suspect they'll perhaps have to be a little more reserved? Well, I think what's interesting to me is how reserved the fullbacks has to be, has to do a lot, I think, with who's playing in front of them. Who are the players that, if, if hypothetically Adrian Heath goes with a 4 2 3 1, let's just say, and I have no idea for sure what he's doing, but, and he might switch it up on the road, you just never know. But going back to the point about the partnerships between the outside backs and the players that are in front of them, so whatever that formation is, whoever is kind of handling, some of the pressure on the ball higher up the field, if it's Franco Fragapane, if it's Robin Lud, if it's Mender Garcia, if it's Pauwane, whoever it might be, who is going to be handling some of that space that's in front of the fullbacks? Because I do think that clogging some of those holes, taking up some of those spaces, you know, putting pressure on the ball that's higher up the field before it gets to those players that are so effective for FC Dallas, that might make a difference on how reserved the fullbacks from Minnesota United have to be in these scenarios. And also defensively, we talk a lot about Brett Coleman and Michael Boxo, but what about 
Will Trapp, and if it's Ariada, what about those two? How much are they staying home? How deep is Reynoso dropping to receive the balls? We saw him do a lot in the first half against um, Vancouver last week. Is he higher up the pitch? In this formation, whatever formation Adrian Heath goes with, it's going to be a lot of reading that game and reading those spaces. Velasco came off the bench in the last game against Austin. I'm mean, excuse me, against Sporting Kansas City um, for FC Dallas because he had been coming, you know, working his way back from an injury. If he's healthy and fully fit, you know, as you said, assuming he will start. But other players, I mean, Paxton Pommelkal didn't look too shabby in that game, and I know he's not an attacking winger, but I think he causes some problems with his runs, with his movement. Sebastian Legette scored that goal off a ball from Ferreira that came in from the left-hand side. And that's Ferreira once again. He is comfortable in those spaces to be on the ball, to face up as a quote-unquote number 10, to serve the ball in from the wide areas. So I think that's what makes Ferreira so tricky is that his movement and his comfort level off the ball and, and not as a center forward to provide for others and the movement of a Velasco um, the movement of a Paul Ariola who can play on the other side. I think the fullbacks and the center midfielders are going to have to be ready and alert, and the communication is going to be massive um, for them. And some of them might be staying home and let the attacking players do that work. Let the attacking players go forward and do their thing in the front four or five for Minnesota United, knowing what's at stake in the transition from FC Dallas. Okay, we'll head to a break and uh, next up we'll be chatting with the head coach of Minnesota United, Adrian Heath. But before we do go to break, uh, I think we need to say um, a very, very sincere thank you uh, to the fans and the supporters of Minnesota United uh, for for all the efforts uh, from everybody at the football club, but, but particularly the fans. Um, the, the TIFO was um, absolutely uh, unbelievable. Um, we are just merely commentators at the end of the day. And, and so to receive that sort of admiration and thanks was um, was otherworldly. Um, I, I don't think either of us ever expected anything along those lines. Um, for the record, neither of us wanted any attention, really, did we? We were trying our best to, to try and avoid it, really. And the attention was, was uh, should have been on, on the football, as eventually it was. But um, we, we can't thank everybody enough. Um, we felt so loved uh, and we felt such a, an element of, of warmth and kindness. Um, and so we, we can only say thank you so much. I, I spoke to a couple of the, the supporters in the brew hall after the game and, and I, I feel like I, I said thank you, but I felt like it didn't do it justice. You know, it was um, it was just insane. And we were going on the air, weren't we? We were just coming back from commercial as the TIFO sort of went up and, and we were both speechless. For the first time in our lives, we were speechless on air. It was an amazing gesture, wasn't it, Kate? Yeah, I mean, honestly, um, you know, I don't know that either of us was able to fully soak it in in that moment because we are, you know, out there and we're, first of all, we, it was unexpected. But second of all, like, we're, we're this massive game is upon us. So going back and watching videos and seeing pictures and kind of being able to soak it in after the fact. And the TIFO was something I never imagined, dreamed of, expected. I mean, it's it's something I think that, you know, you see done for others but never expected it for ourselves. And I just hope that everybody understands the, the, the blood, sweat and tears that we put into this team and this broadcast. And it's, it feels amazing to have it be recognized, but at the same time, that's not why we do it. We do it because we love it. And we're trying to do, you know, justice to this club and to this team and to this sport and to this fan base. And it was unbelievable. It was phenomenal. And I, I still get a little teary eyed just thinking about it because it was, it was, 
completely unexpected and so kind and um, thoughtful. And I know what kind of work, you know, you and I know what kind of go, work goes into those people. So we appreciate it from, you know, the bottom of our hearts. And um, it, we, we will absolutely miss being a part of these local television broadcasts from Minnesota United. And we appreciate all of you, um, top to bottom, front to back, anybody who's ever stepped foot in Allianz Field or anywhere and has anything to do with the club. It's been quite the ride. It has indeed. Uh, now then, we'll focus on the next game for Minnesota United and indeed the next commentary that we'll be doing. For those wondering, Kendra and I are doing a radio broadcast on uh, 1500 AM and Sirius XM. Away at FC Dallas as Minnesota United indeed enter the postseason. We'll be talking to the head coach, Adrian Heath, after the break. When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers. With convenient locations, virtual options and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results and care team, you're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. Welcome back to the Sound of the Loons podcast, presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Callum Williams alongside Kendra D. St. Aubin, and joined by an exceptional guest, the head coach of Minnesota United, Adrian Heath, joins us. Gaffer, thanks so much for the time. Really, really appreciate it. And no problem. First question, the, the first question I've, I've got for you, which is, um, it's, it's fairly simple, I'm assuming, the, the answer. But look, four years in a row in the playoffs with Minnesota United, the only team in the Western Conference to achieve that you must be so proud i am i'm i'm pleased with it for everybody at the club you know it's uh, as i've said before cal I, I i think people think it's easy making the playoffs and i think the fact that we're the only last one standing in four years i think shows shows that it's not especially when you consider the caliber of clubs that are in the western conference talking about you know la galaxy the seattle sounders portland timbers lafc you know, it's um, it, it, it's not easy. So, you know, that's off to everybody connected with the club, the ownership, who factors when we needed stuff, the coaching staff, but more importantly, the players and the supporters, because they're the most important people. You know, obviously, I have a great... Uh, I'm fortunate enough that I work with the players every day, but I know how much, you know, they, they want to deliver for the supporters because... You know, they, they've got a great relationship with our supporters. So I'm pleased for every one of them, Cal. Adrian, when you look at how 2022 went on and how it went about, and I know we have the benefit of hindsight here, but did you think it would be the ups and the downs? Did you think that, you know, no. how did you see it playing out? I think it's been quite a difficult year, Kendra, for an awful lot of reasons. I, you know, we've been, I think we've been too inconsistent as a team. I think we've been very inconsistent in terms of the lineup. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that when we had the the best run of the year, when we I think we lost one in thirteen, the team really picked itself for for a lot of them games, and our front four got into a rhythm. You know, like Sabongi was playing particularly well, then Ray hit a purple patch, and Luis started to score, and 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 looked like the Luis that we had the first time round, and and Fraggers. 
you know, whenever he's played and is in good nick, he makes a big difference for the team. So um, when I look back, I think it's been a really difficult year. Um, as I say, you know, we we sort of, the last six games could have gone a lot better for us. I was starting to bite my own nails at the end when I said to you and Cal, I thought that with six games to go, two wins would maybe give us home field advantage. And then we end up taking it to the last game of the season. So it wasn't ideal, but as I did say after the game, that the reason that we were in that position is what had gone on the previous sort of eight months, nine months, because if we put ourselves in a real good spot because of the points we'd picked up. So, you know, here we are, we're on the verge of another playoff, difficult game away in Dallas, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to Dallas uh, on Sunday with a lot, a lot of confidence in not only this group, but everybody. Gaffer, talk to me about the, the mid-season form of the team. As you, you mentioned briefly there, you went on a run that was um, lauded as one of one of the best that the club has ever had in Major League Soccer, just one defeat in 11. Yeah. What was the, the main difference with the group over the course of that particular period? A little bit of consistency all round, I think, Cal. We, we managed to put the same team out on numerous occasions. And, you know, I, I did an interview yesterday and they were talking about Dallas and the only three people they mentioned were their front three of Ferreira, Velasco and Ariola. They've scored nearly 80% of all their goals. I don't think it's a coincidence in that spell, our better players in the forward areas. Ray had a particularly purple patch where he started to score goals consistently, got a, a couple of goals in two or three games. And as I say, the front four were, were very, very good. And, you know, I can, people can talk about coaching, Cal, but the one thing that I always know about being a good coach is if your best players play well for a period of time, it gives you more chance of winning games. And that was what, what happened in that little purple patch that we had. You know, all our better players came came to came to the uh, came to the fore and and gave some really really big performances and big performances from your your best players normally means you win games can it be something as simple as confidence because we can talk tactics you can talk formations and lineups and and things like that but something is as critical as just confidence because if you look back at that Miami game the the LA Galaxy game where you guys went straight to LA could have gone either way but it, it went positively for you guys and that really started a run yeah, and, and, and no matter what I say, Kendra, to the players, that you know, the only sort of confidence that I can keep giving them is by keep picking them, picking them in the te- team and showing faith in them. But there's nothing like winning games and winning three points, especially on the road, to, to give a team confidence and belief in what you're trying to do and belief in each other. And, you know, we went on that really good run. Probably people didn't see that after the, you know, the dismal sort of the end of that game in, into Miami. And, you know, we played really well the week before, if you remember, in the Revs. And we took nothing out of that game as well. So, you know, we, I think we did we go on three or four games on, you know, winning games after that. So that was a, a pivotal moment in the season. But, you know, as you say, confidence is a huge thing in football. It's something that you can't wave a magic wand at and just suddenly give people confidence. It generally comes with playing well, winning games and, everybody having a bit more belief in each other and what we're trying to do. And then on the other end of the scale, um, we, we will talk about the victory against Vancouver Whitecaps here shortly. But prior to that, Gaffey, you went on a run without any wins in six. How difficult was that for you personally and for the group as a whole? Well, you, you'd always double-guess yourself, Cal, don't you, when you're losing games, you know? You know, I, I'm I'm more critical of me and my staff than anybody. We always double-guess. Did we pick the right players did we pick the right system you know was the shape the right thing did we work too hard did we not work hard enough in training 
So you double guess yourselves all the time, but you, in the end of the day, you have to go with what your gut feeling tells you because nobody knows this group like I do. I work with them every single day for, you know, for some of them now for two and three years. So, you know, you, you just go on your gut feeling of, of, of what you believe is your better team and your best players and try and give them confidence and send them out to get a result. Obviously, the fact that we always knew that we were in with the shout, I think, helped. Because when you're losing games, Cal, you know, after every game, you look at that league table and the results kept going for us and going for us. And, you know, I think there was one weekend, there was only one team took a point in the Western Conference that were in and around us. Everybody, you know, two or three lost at home, two or three lost on the road, you know, but it was... Um, it's never easy, but you just have to keep believing in what you're doing and try and give the confidence to the guys that you know are going to be the guys you're going to have to turn to more or less most most of the weeks. I know a lot of times we focus on goals and maybe a lack thereof at certain times, and there's pressure on the defense then when the offense isn't maybe clicking like you're expecting them to. How important was that shutout then, that clean sheet against Vancouver Whitecaps going into the postseason, and in particular, Dane's performance coming up big once again yeah I, I think one of the disappointments for me Kendra this year and I've spoke to the not the back four in general but the group in general we you know we've had too many games where we've conceded too many goals you know and I think about the Kansas game away and then I look at the three goals we conceded in Colorado individual and collective mistakes and we've had too much of that this year you know if there's one thing that you know we, we need to address we can't have this inconsistent perform where one week we're very very good the week after we're very very poor we can see goals and then we get a clean sheet the principles are always the same you know you've got to be tight at the back you've got to give the opposition no encouragement and then you have to take your opportunities when they come and i don't think that we've done a good enough job of that this year i really don't in terms of the difference between the two sides uh, last weekend then, Gaffer, was that the main difference then, that Minnesota took the chances and Vancouver didn't? Well, we, I, I think if you look at it, Cal, you know, I said to you after the game, I thought Boxing maybe had his best game of the season. I thought DJ was excellent. We, BK didn't make any mistake. Timor defended well. We, we didn't give the opposition an awful lot. And when we did, Dane came up and, and made a couple of big saves and big moments. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's easily, easily said than done. But the bottom line of this is that if you concede two and three goals a game, you don't win many games in any league anywhere in the world. So, you know, we've got to get back to where we've been the previous three years where we've had one. We've always been in the top third of best defences uh, in terms of goals conceded in the MLS. This year, we're not. And that's one of the reasons that we've been so inconsistent, I think. When you look back at that Vancouver game and some other points in the season, we all know that if Ray gets on the ball and he works his magic, this team can find success, can find goals, can be dangerous, whatever it might be. But how do you balance a creative playmaker like that, giving him license to do what you know he's capable of, but also you don't want him to have turnovers in, in dangerous situations in poor areas of the field that puts everybody else under a little bit of pressure. How do you balance that with a player like that that's so good? Well, you have to you have to trust him. The bottom line is, Kendra. You know, we we, you know, my only panic for with Ray with the rest of the group is when he comes behind our midfield players, and he starts to you know do his he starts walking nearly with the ball and and dragging it with the outside of his foot and and actually invites people to have a bite at him. And if we lose it, then and generally 
we're so spread out that we puts us under under a lot of pressure but ultimately you just have to show belief in it you know we we've spoke and you've heard me say it so many times we need to keep him higher up the field in and around the penalty area that's when he he finds the pass that's when he that's when he picks the moment to produce the, the ridiculous ball or the ridiculous pass but he's such a he wants to play so much that when he's not getting enough of the ball then he goes to look for it so sometimes he comes too deep and he and he's got another thing that where he thinks everybody's as comfortable on the ball as he is and they're not the bottom line is you know ray has incredible faith and belief in his own ability and um you know he thinks everybody else is the same and unfortunately everybody isn't so we need to keep him eye up the field but you know the one thing i do know and you know i invite all the coaches in to have a drink after the game and invariably within two minutes the opposing staff all talk, start talking about Reynoso without a shadow of a doubt every single week they you know I so I, I know what everybody else thinks of it and um you know the fact that we've given him a new deal shows you what we think of it but we've got to we've got to keep drumming it into him to stay high up the field and get where he's most dangerous well, you'll need him to be dangerous, no doubt, this coming uh, weekend and, and the week on Monday evening when Minnesota United go away to FC Dallas in the MLS Cup playoffs. What have we made of FC Dallas then this year then, Gaffer? Because you've had two very different games against them this year. Well, we have, but I think if you were to look at the 90 minutes of both games, Cal, I think we've been slightly the better team. You know, they had a five-minute spell, six-minute spell at our place where we contributed to our own downfall by giving them a couple of goals. Well, if you look at the rest of the 90 minutes, we were more than competitive. Um, I thought we did a really good job away in Dallas and shutting their front three down. You know, I, I was looking at it yesterday. I've got it here in front of me that Ferreira's got 18 goals. Velasco's got six and Ariola's got 10. You know, that that's 34 goals between their front three. Um, they've got good talent. You know, they've, they've always produced players. Now they've started to add it. You know, sneakily this year, they spent $10 million on this group. You know, they paid the best part of $2 million for Ariola. Um, and then, obviously, they paid seven and a half, eight million for Velasco. They paid over a million for the goalkeeper pays. So, you know, they've added pieces to this group. So, you know, we the fact that they were the second best uh, home team in the Western Conference tells you that they're particularly good at home. And we're one of the few teams that's gone there and got a result this year. So we know what we, we need to do. Um, are we capable of doing it? Yes, we are. But we're going to have to play well. Where do you think the best spot to get at FC Dallas is, in particular at their home place? Last time you played at Dallas, Leggett wasn't there. Ariola and Ferreira didn't start. But as we know, Ariola came on and, and scored a, a ridiculous goal. But yeah. where is it in their team that you can get at them without giving away your tactical secrets? <laughs> well, no, I, I just think that if you look at them, you know, it's been well documented. There, there's not a lot of energy in the team. They push a lot of men forward. I think in them little moments, because all teams turn the ball over and you know in the opposing half, I think then if we're at our best and we can use it on the counter attack and in them transition moments, I think they leave themselves a little bit vulnerable because they push both fullbacks really high. They've got the front three and they've got like a number ten. You know they've they push a, they you know they they push a lot of men forward and and in them moments that when it turns over, I think we're going to have to be really clinical in our and our counter-attacks and then transition moments. But if we are, I think we, we can create trouble on the on the counter. We spoke about this earlier this week at Training Gaffer in terms of how you get the better of that front three that you've already spoken about. 
and what you need from your back four because Ferreira will drag those centre-halves out. Those wide players will tuck in in behind the centre-halves. So yeah. how do you prepare the back line for that? Well, we spoke about it. Invariably, you end up with the back four against three. They've got the two wide guys and then Ferreira through the middle. Then they have two joining in, which would generally be Pomlicol or Legette from there. And they so they attack with a five and they leave themselves very often with a three and a four behind it because they push the fullback in as well on the side of the ball. Hey, concentration levels, you know, that never changes, Cal. We we have to be aware our both fullbacks are gonna have their hands full. You know, we know that Velasco, one of the best young players in Argentina, that's why they paid so much money for him. Hey. DJ's going to have a job to do. Ariola down the right. Kimo, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to, can we shut them areas down? They're going to need help from our two wide men. This is not going to be a case of you four get on with it. We're going to need everybody defending as a group when the ball turns over and attacking as a group. It, that doesn't, that never changes. But the one thing I do know that we can't leave the back four exposed to three and four and five numbers coming forward. Not knowing what formation you're going to play or who you're going to go with, is it a good problem to have Ariaga's back in this hole? Robin can clearly play there. Gonzalez scored a, a nice goal uh, against Vancouver. Rosales got gets the assist. Like you yeah. have these options now in those in those positions. Well, we do, and, and I think you know we have to weigh up. You know, like the Robin situation, we you, you put him in midfield, and out of eleven games that he started in midfield, we've won eight, we've drawn two, and lost one. So that tells you that's one stat. But on the other hand, he's only scored, he hasn't scored a goal from there since we moved him back there. Now we're missing that quality that he gives us in the final third. So we'll have to weigh all of that up and decide which way we're going to go. In my mind, I know how we're going to play and the system and the team. And then we'll have to see if we can execute the game plan. And if we do, we'll give ourselves a chance. Just finally, then, Gaffer, um, in terms of this season as a whole. No doubt the regular season, I think, will be defined as a success. But but how far do you need to go in the playoffs in your mind to view the entirety of the campaign as a success? Um, well, obviously, every game becomes important now. You know, it's win and advance or you lose and then it's go home. And then we start preparing for next year. As I said to the players after the game against Vancouver, you know, forget what happened the last seven games with the one win. It's the body of work we did from February that got us in this position. Do I know that we can win four games, Cal? Yes, I do, which is what it's going to take. And it might have to be four games on the road. We don't know yet. But the one thing I do know is, and I think everybody knows this, that on a good given day, if our big players bring their A game, that we're more than capable of going not only to Dallas, to Galaxy, or to Austin, or to uh, LA, because we've won there before. It's not like we haven't been any of them them grounds and we haven't won on the road. So we're capable, but we're gonna we're gonna need everybody bring their A game for sure. Um, the disappointment of them last few games was the fact that I honestly believe that if we'd have been like we were, we could have had maybe a home. This game could have been at home this weekend. It's not, but hey, we move on. We we we'll live to fight another day, but which is on Monday, and we've got to go out there and play what what I think will be one of our better performances. And if we do, we can go there and win. Not to look too far ahead, it'd be lovely to host, wouldn't it? If Rail Salt Lake end up beating Austin, we, we can still host. That'd be really nice, wouldn't it? But let's let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, shall we? We'll, we'll ask you that on the next podcast, shall we? Uh, Adrian Heath, thank you so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. My thanks to Kendra D. St. Aubin, Grace Dearson, uh, our expert button presser, and of course, 
you, the listener, as well. Minnesota United back in the playoffs Monday evening. Live coverage on Fox Sports 1 and also Score North across the Twin Cities. From all of us here, a very good day to you. We'll see you on Monday.